Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3, page 227 in your church Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 3. So this past week, uh, the, the one thing I was really able to do at VBS is I, I, at, the, at the camp, Stonehill Camp, is I played the part of Pharaoh for the children, and uh, the children were kind of acting like they were Israelites, and they kept bothering me by saying, let my people go, and basically my part was basically, no, you can't go. And I just wanted to say this to those of you who might have kids in this age group, is uh, in one part of this play, the children were given little plastic golf balls to simulate hail, and they were allowed to throw these plastic go- golf balls, just like it says in Exodus, at Pharaoh, okay, to simulate the hail. And uh, I'm, I don't know what to say, but some of your kids have anger problems, I think. There's something wrong with them. Um, if you want to talk to me, I'll let you know who that was. Uh, but some of these children were a little bit too excited about throwing those. Anyway, plastic balls. It was a good time. And uh, it was a great week. We're continuing in our study of 1 Samuel. And last week we saw that it's through weakness that the kingdom of God advances. That's what 1 Samuel is all about. Throughout 1 Samuel, we continue to see this narrative portion of Scripture and sometimes coupled with actual teaching that demonstrate how does God's kingdom go forth. And particularly, we're focused on the nation of Israel and what God had to do to take this group of people, to mold them into a, a nation more committed, and consistently committed to seeing God's kingdom move through them, uh, not only in the nation of Israel, but to the world. And last week, we looked at how God's kingdom moves through weakness. <coughs> God's kingdom moves and is founded on the weakness of of the God-man, Jesus Christ, who took on the weakness of human flesh, died this weak death. It's the beginning of God's reclamation project, uh, foundational to God's reclamation project to bring the world back under his authority through the weakness of the death of Christ. And of course, we saw that through weakness, God often allows us individually to be in a desperate situation so that we cry out to God desperately, depending upon him, asking God to uh, move his kingdom forward, which, which, which doesn't always mean that our prayers get answered exactly the way we want, but we know his kingdom goes forth. And so this morning, we're going to see another principle of God's kingdom, one principle. We'll take a look at that. And then there are three obstacles to having that principle uh, show up in real life, show up in real time for us individually and in the community of believers here at the Church of Jesus Christ. So let's uh, look at this principle. We'll get to it in a second, but I want to show you uh, in 1 Samuel 3 that the writer very skillfully bookends the chapter uh, referring uh, to the word of God in, 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 in the beginning and the end of the chapter, which formed the basis. And I'll get to, again, the first principle in just a second. But let's take a look. Initially, what he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, Now the young man Samuel 
was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And the word of God was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. It's very interesting that what, what, what the text says is God didn't seem to be speaking in real time to the people of Israel at this time. Probably had the Pentateuch potentially, but he wasn't speaking to them. They, they were without the word of God, so to speak. It was rare in those days. And I think the writer is trying to let us know that because the word of God was rare, that was affecting the nation of Israel in, in a negative way. As we talked about last week, that at the end of the book of Judges, which just precedes this time period in 1 Samuel, the text says there was no king in Israel and everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. Without God's word, God's people don't, don't have direction. They don't have vision for what God is doing in the world. They don't have power. To, to change and to, 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 to redirect themselves. They don't have counsel. They don't, they don't have a sense of what, 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 what God's plan is. They can't see the beauty and glory of, of Jesus Christ because all of that comes through the word of God and the word of God was rare. At the end of the chapter, in verse 19 of chapter three, we see God beginning to do something new. He says, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. In other words, as Samuel communicated God's word to the, his people, all of those words came true. None of those words fell to the ground, so to speak, and were shown to be useless. No, they were all fulfilled. Verse 20, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, Dan being in the north, Beersheba in the south. It's a phrase that means all Israel knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. He was speaking the words of God to the people. Verse 21, and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And in the first part of verse one of chapter four, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. What you see from the writer here is he's bookending the entire chapter because he's trying to remind us that the entire chapter is essentially about one thing, about this one principle, and that is this. God's kingdom advances through and by the power of the word of God. That's the principle. God's power, God's kingdom goes through and is founded on and is, it progresses by the power of God's word. That's what's crucial to God's kingdom advance. Now, I'm telling you, I've been worried all week about this because I figure some of you are going to hear that and you're going to say, okay, I know, what, I know what Pastor Tracy's doing. He's trying to get me to read the Bible more. And so I'm worried that some of you are going to go home and go, okay, I'm really going to try. I'm going to, give, I'm going to read the Bible 15 minutes a day. I'm going to check it off my to-do list and then I've done it and that'll be over and that'll be great. And yeah, yeah. No, that's not what I'm, what I'm asking you to do. I think it's much bigger than this. It's not simply a checklist. I got to read God's word and it's some kind of a magic thing. What, what, what I think Samuel is, what is being described to us here is that God's people establishing his kingdom desperately need the word of God given to them by God so that they know what to do. They have a vision of where God's taking the nation. They have a vision of what they're supposed to do individually and corporately. So, and they, they have to have lives that are immersed with what the Bible has, to, what God's word has to say about everything, not simply checking the box. I read my Bible today. 
Let me give you a negative example, which is very easy for me to come up with in my life. Two weeks ago, I decided to do something about the fact that I was, well, I was carrying around a little much, too much of me. I was carrying a little too much extra weight. I went to Weight Watchers. I joined, okay? And I don't want any of you to come to where my group is, okay? You stay away, okay? So I joined Weight Watchers, and I'm all excited. They've got this great app on the phone. And, and basically what Weight Watchers does is every food in the world, depending on how big the portion is and what you cook it in, has have points. And I get 30 points a, week, a day. As I can eat 30 points worth of food, and then it's over. And so this is great. I am legalistically and pharisaically following my plan. I mean, I got all the food. I can't do anything. And I just, I'm following the little checklist and I'm doing everything right. And, and the reality is I've lost 11 pounds in two weeks. Woo! Don't clap. Because my family does not believe that I'm on the right track. My family believes, actually, they be, they've all said this to me in so many words. They've tried to say this nicely. But they've said, you are never going to keep the weight off if you just follow the checklist in this little legalistic manner. You need a whole lifestyle change. And they're right. Yeah, I'm following the plan now. But the reality is, I need to learn to love vegetables. I hate vegetables. Unless they have lots of butter and bacon with them, right? I need to love fruit. I need to love the right kinds of food. I need to, to reorient my whole life. I can't just, I, I know this is sad to say, but I can't just want to eat peanut butter and a block of cheese, okay? I, I, I had a hard childhood, okay? Now, two weeks ago, I was, I was one day into the plan, okay? 30 points. I came to church and I said no to the bagels. No bagels. Bad. Lots of points, the bagels. And I made up my mind I'm not going to eat anything at church. I'm not going to eat anything, all right? You know, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, I'm going to do that. And I, I'm doing fine. But at the end of this, after the second service, I mean, I'm, I'm so hungry. I'm only one day into this program. I am not in a good mood. I'm willing to eat anything. And Grace Henry brings out these dinner rolls, these horrific dinner rolls. I guess we ran out of bagels or something. And I looked at the dinner roll and said, that's bad. But then I took one. And then I took another one. And then I ate another one. And I ate five dinner rolls. And Grace Henry didn't stop me from doing that. And Grace Henry's under church discipline. Okay. And then I realized, oh, no, I ate the wrong food. <laughs> what a disaster. I hadn't had anything all day. I went home. I went into my office after church, and I looked at it. I said, five dinner rolls, and I calculated 27 points. <laughs> I got three points left. Sunday, at, Sunday afternoon two weeks ago was not good. I think that's the way a lot of people approach the Bible. I need to read a few minutes a day. And I'm going to read it. I'm going to check it off my... But you never really 
immerse yourself enough into it to learn to love it, to learn to crave it, to learn to, to say, I, I need this more than, this, this is life itself when I look into the word of God. This is what this text is talking about. When it says that the word was rare, and then it talks about how God begins to speak through Samuel, he's demonstrating that it is the word of God, the power of the word of God, the same word of God that... where God spoke the world into existence, the same word of God that takes dead people, spiritually dead people, and makes them alive again by the power of the resurrection. The same word that has the power to make you more like Jesus Christ. The same word that's going to usher in the new kingdom and bring us all into the new kingdom free from sin. That same word is the written word that we have, and it has that kind of power, and we must immerse ourselves into it and crave it and live in light of it so that everything we we look at and and the way we interpret life and the way we we see ourselves in the whole story of what God is doing has to be informed and directed and guided by the word of God. Because that is the way the kingdom goes forth. Now, that's the principle. There are three obstacles. Let's look at the first obstacle. Back to verse 1 in the text. It says, Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. It's very interesting what the, what the writer's doing here. He's setting a scene. This is a real scene. This is, he's not making this up. Eli apparently is in his own place. Samuel is in the, in the temple of God. He's in the actual structure where the ark of the Lord was. Eli is somewhat distant to it. It's interesting also, he paints this picture. The light had not yet gone out from the lamp that was burning, but it was dark. We're talking about very early in the morning here. Maybe late morning, but before the sun came up, it's dark. It's, it's dim, but there's this flickering light that's where there's still a, a little bit of light left. What the writer is trying to, to, to picture here is that Eli's physical blindness is mirroring his spiritual blindness. Eli is disconnected uh, somewhat from, from the ark of the Lord. He's not really lying down where Samuel is. He's distanced himself from God and his word. This is a very intricate picture uh, physically of what spiritually is happening to the nation. And of course, if you, we don't have time to look at it, but if you look at 1 Samuel 2, we find out that Eli's sons, who are priests, are violating women in the temple worship, to women that are coming, and they are also taking the sacrifices that people give, instead of burning them up to the Lord, the good part was burned to the Lord, they're taking the good part, and they're taking more of what they should, and they're bullying God's people for their own gain. So what you have in, 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 in Israel at the time, in Shiloh, lots of religious activity, lots of services going on, things are happening. But the leadership and the nation are becoming distant from God and his word because they are not dealing with the sin that is distancing themselves from God. 
This is the first obstacle. Unchallenged sin in your life creates distance between us and God's word. James 1.21 talks about this in the same way. It talks in about be doers of the word and not hearers only. But the verse before that says, um, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. There's a pattern here. When we don't deal with the sin in our life, it tends to create distance between us and God. One of the, you've heard this statement before, the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. One of the ways that some of you or some of us, even this week, you will find it difficult to spend time with God. You'll you'll find it uncomfortable to spend time with God and his word if you're not letting that word challenge the sin that is within you. It's an interesting principle that as you don't deal with sin, that sin tends to fester and grow and multiply. That's why you got to nip it at the bud so that you can hear God's word. That's the first obstacle. There's a second obstacle. Let's look at verse four. Very, you know, when you were growing up as a kid in Sunday school, you would often, you know, hear these, uh, hear this story. Verse four says, then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am and ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call lie down again. So he went and lay down and the Lord called again, Samuel and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. And now Samuel did not yet know the Lord and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And what's interesting about that phrase is that phrase is used of Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli in chapter two. In chapter two, I think Eli, Hophni and Phinehas didn't know the Lord because they were in abject rebellion against God. They defied God. They did not know him. I don't think it's, a neg- it's particularly a negative connotation. I think it's simply indicating that Samuel is inexperienced in hearing the word of God. He's probably a teenager at this time, between the ages of 12 and 17. The Lord hadn't been speaking much to the nation. So he's inexperienced, but not that he has a heart that is against the Lord, so to speak. Verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak Lord for your servant hears." So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak Lord for your servant hears." The second obstacle, I think, with hearing the word of God and letting the word of God sort of be the central part of how you function as a human being is this. Most Christians, in my opinion, are not persistent enough in the study of God's word, nor humble enough to study God's word the way it ought to be studied. I'm going to just look at this persistence. Look at, look at Samuel. He doesn't know that God is calling him. He's inexperienced. He doesn't have an ear for the word of God. He doesn't know that God is calling him. He keeps going to Eli. He keeps going once, twice, three times. Then Eli finally lets him know maybe this is God. Samuel keeps persisting 
in, in, in attempting to understand God. And I think this is a picture of what every believer has to go through in terms of letting God's word be the centerpiece of how the kingdom of God runs through you. There's a sense in which as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have to hang in there in studying God's word long enough and deeply enough to begin to acquire a taste for it. In the same way that I need to learn to like vegetables, I'm going to have to learn to like vegetables by eating vegetables. If you want to get into God's word, you're going to have to be persistent enough over a fairly long period of time to gain a better, acquire a taste and understanding of this word that is so crucial to the development of the kingdom in your life personally and in the world today. I've been doing ministry for 30 years. I was a pastor's kid. My dad pastored, you know, when I was young. And I, 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 I don't know how many Christians have said these kinds of words. Yeah, I tried to read the Bible. I got to Leviticus. I gave up. Or I was reading the Bible. I got to Ezekiel. Like, what in the world is that all about? I don't understand this thing. I think the Bible is kind of boring. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. I guess I'll open my Bible up next Sunday when I hear the preacher preach. It's not going to cut it. I, you've all told, I've told you these stories about rowing. I mean, think about this. In almost any other discipline that we engage ourselves, we don't give up simply because it's hard and doesn't work the first time or even the second or the third time. I wrote, I wrote for a year and a half. I mean, think about this. I'm not a young person. I'm over 50. I would get up at 4.30 in the morning to get my body out of bed, to get my heart rate enough so I wouldn't have a heart attack when I rode. I then rode to the Princeton Boathouse. 5.15, I was there. 5.30, I put a boat in the water. I start rowing. And guess what? I have to pay $6.85 every time I go row. I'm paying somebody to harm my body. I'm paying somebody to hurt. I'm paying somebody to suffer. And guess what? I'm not that good at it. There are days, 20th time I rowed, I felt like I had never picked up an oar before. I'm like, what is this? I don't know what I'm doing. It's not right, but here we are. I rode when it was freezing cold. I rode and sank in a boat. I rode when it was hot. I rode when everyone in the boat was, was terrible rower. I rode when I was the only terrible rower. And the wrath of seven other people were put on me. But I kept doing it because I wanted to row. And yet when it comes to the Bible, we get a little bit confused one day. It's a little bit hard to understand. It doesn't seem that exciting to me. Ah, and we wonder why our lives aren't that much different than the world around us. We wonder why the church doesn't always work like it ought to work. This community of believers is supposed to display the beauty and glory of Christ to the world. We wonder why the kingdom of God seems stalled out. It comes through the word of God. We have to have persistence. We also have to have humility. Notice what Samuel says in, 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 in verse 10. He says, the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Notice how Samuel says, okay, God, you start talking. I'm the servant. I will listen and respond. Again, another thing I've heard for the last 35 years, Christians go, you know, I don't really like that part of the Bible. 
A lot of God's wrath. I don't like that. And so what we have here is Christians picking and choosing which part of God's word they like. Is that not insane? Oh, I like this. I like this. Oh, forget about that. Oh, I don't get that. What are we doing? We're actually telling the God of the universe, the God who made the world, who gave us graciously his word that we could understand how to live and see how his kingdom could flow through us. And we try to tell him what we like and don't like about his word. We're strange creatures. Maybe the question is, when we read the Bible, instead of saying, oh, I like this part, I don't like this part, maybe you ought to read the Bible and say, hey, word of God, what part of me don't you like too much? What part of me needs to be changed? What part of me needs to be confronted? What part of me doesn't have it right? Rather than the other way around. And one more thing on this. Listen, I went to seminary. I've read the Bible. There are still parts of the Bible I'm confused on. There's parts of the Bible where there's been five major positions in church history, and I've held all five positions for the last 30 years at different points. So I've been wrong four times, unless there's a sixth, you know, option. There are parts of the Bible I don't understand, but why should that surprise me? It's God's word, not mine. If God's word doesn't mystify you or even confuse you at times, it probably doesn't come from God. He's God, we're not. Samuel's persistent, he's humble, and those are the kinds of attitudes we need to have towards God's word. There's one last obstacle, and that is the pressure you're going to feel. Because we are the recipients of God's word by grace, we have a responsibility to share that message with others. Look at verse 10. Again, Samuel hasn't heard the word of God much. Samuel says, speak for your servant hears. And this is what God tells him. Message number one from God to Samuel. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God. And he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. May God bless you. I mean, that's what what Samuel hears. That this man who's been caring for him. Again, his family has sent him to the worship complex in Shiloh. He's got to say to this man who's at least been caring for him. The man, Eli calls Samuel his son. It's a term of endearment. And that's the message that God gave to Samuel. Verse 15. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. (laughs) And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. I guess so. How would you like to tell your boss? Thus saith the Lord, your house is over. God is going to judge you for not restraining. Or, you know, I mean, well, verse 16, Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you. And more also, if you hide anything from me, all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Samuel tells that Eli has to sort of threaten him with a curse. But he does explain 
and shares the message of the word because the third obstacle is we have responsibilities to share God's word with those around us. We don't just study God's word for us. We don't just study God's word so that we know everything. We don't just study God's word so that my life can kind of run better. We have a responsibility to take the message of God's word and share it with other people. And believe me, that should strike a little fear in your heart. I don't know, you know, what your friends are like and stuff, but I, I mean, everybody in my neighborhood knows I'm a pastor, okay? Because I'm the only guy driving out of my driveway Sunday morning, okay? In my neighborhood, anyway. It's not completely true. There's some other Stonehill people that live in my neighborhood. It is not easy, even for a pastor. I was sitting in a diner the other day with a friend of mine who does not know Christ, and we're having a good discussion. And he looks over at me and says, man, I like you. You're a nice guy. But do you really believe what the Bible says about heaven and hell? Do you really believe that God is going to punish people forever if they don't trust Christ? And he's saying this kind of loudly. I'm kind of looking around. You know that? And now I'm in a situation. Am I going to tell him what God says? Or am I going to tell him what the Bible says? Now, again, I don't have to be obnoxious. I don't have to be unloving. I can be very gracious and winsome about it. But am I going to say what's in the Bible or am I going to fumble around? <laughs> Call Pastor Jen. 924-3816. Yeah, he's real young. He's hip. Yeah. I'm old-fashioned. I mean, I... So I think I graciously walked him through the message of the Bible. I graciously told the guy, if God gave me what I deserved, I would, I would be separated from God forever. I graciously told him about the hope that Jesus Christ is for the world, that he died and, and rose for our dead. I think I did it pretty winsomely, a little bit of humor. I didn't take a hammer to his head. I was loving. And the response was not good. You're a nice guy, Tracy. How can you believe that? It's the price of the kingdom. The price, one of the prices of the kingdom and the price of God's word is when God has shown you something in your word, you have a responsibility to share that, not simply with other believers, you certainly do that, but to share it with others around you. It's not easy. It should put fear in your heart. You don't need to do it obnoxiously. But it's part of what it means to have the word of God working through you and in you and moving through you to see the kingdom of God established more in this world. That's what you're called to do. I was in Romania uh, just about a decade after Ceausescu fell the communist leader there in Romania. I was preaching at church uh, that night. I had a translator with me. We were getting ready to, to uh, start the service. We start worshiping and singing. And I take my Bible and I just slip it under my chair. And my host, who's with me, immediately says, don't do that. Get the Bible. I get the Bible. up. What, what, what did I do wrong? I'll tell you later. So I'm like, what did I do wrong? And after the service, he told me, he says, listen, 
When the communists were in control, they often confiscated Bibles. It was difficult to get a Bible. It was difficult to afford a Bible. Not every Christian had a Bible. It's the most precious thing. It's the precious word of God. It's sacred. And when you put it on the floor like that, you look like you're disrespecting God's word. And I said, I am so sorry. I apologize. I mean, you say, I, I, you're fine. And he was, you know, he's like, you Americans are all the same. You, you have multiple copies of the Bible. And I think you're a little careless in your abundance. This word is precious. It's the way the kingdom is founded and grows and advances. Our sin, if it's not dealt with, can distance ourselves from his word. Our, 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 our lack of humility and lack of persistence in, 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 in attempting to understand and listen to God's word is part of the obstacles that keep us from seeing the word of God go forward. And it's our reluctance to, re, to take responsibility to sharing that message with everyone around us that are the hindrances that keep the word of God from having its full effect in our lives and in our church. May God help us to build our entire life, to build every aspect of our life on the very word of God because it's true, it's powerful, it gives us everything that we need to see God's kingdom move forward. Let me pray for us as we close. Lord, I confess that we often take for granted the privilege of having the word of God in our own language. Lord, I confess to you that we treat the Bible as a, a little checklist, part of our little Christian to-do list, Lord, which is not what you're asking us to do. Lord, I confess that sometimes our undealt with sin or our lack of humility and persistence and our unwillingness to share the truths of God's word in a winsome way with others is what hinders your word from having the, the effect that you desire it to have in building your kingdom. I pray that you would remove these hindrances by your grace. And I pray that increasingly we as individuals and as a church would be a church that is passionate about seeing the words of God become the way in which we interpret everything. It becomes the way in which we respond to every situation. That his word is what guides us and directs us in real time so that your kingdom can advance in Jesus' name.